3: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this rather cold, blustery, semi rainy Tuesday, Rhino.
2: Yeah, it's just a little dreary,
3: a <laughs> little gray. So I, I went to dinner last night uh, with the lottery board, folks. We typically go to dinner the night before a board meeting, and it wasn't that bad. And when we were exiting and opened the door there, it was raining pretty dang hard.
2: It and, did come a bit of a gully washer in central Mississippi, but uh, thankfully no severe weather, just a downpour. Yeah, but cold. It's, it's penetrating cold. Oh, yeah. Biting rain. Yeah, exactly. So... First, Forrest Gump you, that big old fat rain. <laughs> big old fat rain. <laughs> That is it.
3: So Republicans are edging ever so closer to assuming control of the United States House of Representatives. If you hadn't checked out, folks, the latest tally shows Republicans holding or having called in their favor two hundred and seventeen seats to the Democrats 204. And, uh, of course, 218 218 are required to control the chamber, so Republicans need only to win one more seat for control. Now, if it stayed that way in 218 and Democrats prevailed in all the other seats, in other words, if the Republicans only gained one more seat necessary to obtain control, at 218. It'd be 218 to 217. That wouldn't be cool. So right now, at the 217 to 204, Republicans have a 13-seat advantage, and there are 15 seats, uh, excuse me, 14 seats. Yeah, so there's one more that's been added. We're, we're total at 221, decided. Of the 435 in the chamber. So 14 outstanding. Last I checked, Rhino Republicans look set to take at least five. They're up in five of those races. So it, it, it looks like right now, if you were to put an educated guess on it, you're going to end up with 221, 222 for the Republicans, and that would give them a 13- to 14-seat advantage in the chamber, which is still not as razor thin as it is today with there being a five-seat advantage in favor of the Democrats, but still not an overwhelming majority by any stretch. And it does make governing a bit more difficult. Because you may have some in the party who dissent on certain legislative goals and plans. Thus they can't pass. Send them over to the Senate, where they'll surely die anyhow. It depending depends on the legislation, obviously. But that's where we stand. And of course, the Senate is now it has been determined with one seat remaining. The Democrats appear to be on track to either have 50 or 51, depending on what happens in the great state of Georgia. The runoff will be conducted on December the 6th. If the Republican uh, Herschel Walker will to win that race, we're back to 50-50. And Vice President Kamala Harris would have the deciding pivotal vote if not, it's 51-49, and if they all vote in unison on key policies and legislation, doesn't matter. Speaking of which, a thorn in the Democrats' side for the last two years has been Senator Joe Manchin of the great state of West Virginia. You saw this morning he now has a Republican challenger, just announced this morning. And that would be coming up in the 2024 cycle when Senator Manchin is up for reelection. This will be very intriguing to follow, I believe. Representative Alex Mooney, a Republican from West Virginia, announced this morning his bid for the U.S. Senate. To represent West Virginia in 2024, he, of course, seeks to unseat Senator Joe Manchin, who, as we discussed yesterday, absolutely got rolled. He got duped. He got on board with the scaled-down Green New Deal, inappropriately, (laughs) farcically named as the Inflation Reduction Act. He's the one that broke the logjam there in the Senate to allow it to pass. Representative Mooney says, West Virginia values are at risk in this country. We're bankrupting America. I want to be a part of the solution there, Mooney said in a radio interview on Metro News Talk Line. That just a couple of hours ago on Tuesday morning, this morning. So that'll be interesting to watch. In twenty-two is about in the rearview mirror, and eyes will be tilted towards the next big cycle, certainly on a federal level. And heck, in between, Rhino, we got plenty to talk about because 2023, Mississippians will elect their government.
2: And there's a legislative session somewhere in there, too. That's
3: true. Very true. That gets cranked up. Here in a month and a half, there'll be uh, those, those zany legislators will be convening under the dome at the Mississippi State Capitol, which by the way, folks, if you haven't been there, really is a magnificent building. It, uh, it truly is. It, uh, I think it whenever I'm there, sparks a bit of pride. It's to represent the, the state of Mississippi. that building for sure and all that has occurred in it. It could tell some stories, couldn't it, Rhino?
2: (laughs) (laughs) If Marble could talk.
3: Yeah, exactly. The other big news on the election front, the Arizona governor's election, has been called for Democrat and presently sitting Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. She kind of reminds me of Patty Murray Jr. Patty Murray the senator from the great state of Washington, whom I also refer to. And I'm not doing this in a, um, in a condescending way. She's just Debbie Downer, and I mean that because it's, it's not a label, it's not an insult. It's just she's always so melancholy, shall we say. You know, you want to see a little charisma, out of your elected leaders, do you not? You want to see some smiling,
2: some humor, some optimism. Well, that's one thing the left (laughs) has forgotten, is sometimes the truth hurts, and observations are actual fact. Very
3: true. Ronald Reagan, think about the transition between the always dour Jimmy Carter to the ever-optimistic Ronald Reagan. It truly was a big factor, I believe. Not just that the nation was looking for a change, and change in policy direction. But you've got to exude some optimism. We've got to get out of this, and, and both sides do it. We're just so dour and so negative uh, about everything, it seems. and And positivity and optimism, I think, is infectious, and I think it produces the best outcomes. So, unfortunately, Katie Hobbs has uh, been defeated, who is a charismatic figure, but in, in Arizona, I, she you know, I just don't think she could get over the hump there. Arizona used to be a reliably red state, clearly now a swing state. There are some rumors about her possibly Joining Donald Trump on the ticket as Vice President, the former President Donald Trump is fully expected to announce his candidacy for Mar-a-Lago this evening. We political junkies will be tuned in awaiting that event and to see what sort of announcement we get. We're out of time. Twitter might melt. First segment in the books here on this Tuesday, Shelly Hotchkiss Whitehead, the general manager of Super Supertop Meridian, coming on next to talk about the upcoming event live from the temple in Meridian. Stay with us, folks. we got a whole lot more to talk about in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. I just want to be baby. Middays with
0: Gerard G-
3: Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk, Mississippi, in the Element Well Studios. Once again, I, I may have had it reversed and misstated, and I apologize for that. It's Democrat Katie Hobbs defeated Republican Kerry Lake in the race for governor in the state of Arizona. That call this morning. Just wanted to clarify uh, Joe from Summerall said I may have said it wrong. I apologize. I, I knew what I was trying to say. I just may have conflated the names there. But Republican. Kerry Lake defeated by Democrat Katie Hobbs, who's also the Secretary of State presently. Anyhow, done with that. Just want to make sure we got that corrected. Joining us now in the Element Wells studio, Shelly Hotchkiss Whitehead, the General Manager of Super Talk Meridian. Hey, Shelly, thanks for coming in.
4: Well, thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it.
3: You bet. So tell us about uh, this fundraiser for uh, the restoration of the Temple Theater in Meridian.
4: So the Temple Theater was built in 1927. It started production or construction, I guess you would say, in 1923. So it took five years to build. Mm -hmm. And she has seen so much history, so much great things throughout history with segregation and everything like that, and different types of music. So she needs a little bit of a facelift. So we decided after I interviewed Ken Rainey, who is a Meridian legend, and has produced over two thousand shows at the Temple Theater, country, pop, all genres, and he again is kind of like a living legend in our in our small city. And so, after interviewing him, I decided that you know got with him. I went home that night, prayed, thought about what can we do from Super Talk Meridian to help. Rebuild the Temple Theater. So, we created sort of a nonprofit third party fundraising account called the Temple Theater Restoration Initiative. And we have started fundraising with sponsorships. And I went out and talked to several local musicians, and some are bigger names. And I can go over the list of musicians participating in just a minute. And they decided to all come together as a community and donate their time and talent. And we're putting on a music festival in Meridian at the Temple Theater on Sunday, December the 4th at 2 p.m. And it's gonna be great, I cannot wait. But here's the other thing that's great about this. We're downloading, we're going to record a live album and all of the music downloads will go towards the Temple Restoration Hmm. Initiative. So we need people to one, sponsor, which you, if you want to sponsor, we need you to hurry up and sponsor so you can get your name included. And I'll go over the sponsors that we have participating here in just a minute. And ticket sales and album downloads. So it's a three-fold fundraiser, and we're just so excited about it. All
3: right, so tell us about the president of the Temple Theater, Roger Smith, and his involvement in this.
4: So Roger is on the board of the nonprofit with Ken Rainey and I. And he is so excited about this event. He wants to see the Temple Theater, you know, restored back to his former glory. And it just seems like he keeps having obstacles. And that's where we're going to come in. You know, we might not be able to raise the whole amount of money that the Temple needs, but we're creating awareness. And that's the main goal.
3: Yeah. Have you have you got a financial goal in mind that you're shooting for?
4: I mean, I would love to raise one million dollars but let's you know i'm trying to be practical and and not set my my goal so high as this is the largest event that i've ever taken on i've planned 5ks things like that but Mm. nothing of this caliber so i would like to you know make a difference in our community and raise the awareness of its history and the fact that she needs a facelift Meridian is a town that is just growing. And we've had a rebirth or a renaissance period. Hmm. And we have our Riley Center, which you can go see Jay Leno, Track 45. They have had so many fantastic events there. The MAX, which is the Mississippi Arts and Entertainment Museum, we have that going on for entertainment. And now we have the Meridian Children's Museum. Hmm. So we have so much going on, and we have so many museums. The Temple Theater needs to be raised back up to the same caliber as our other, you know, entertainment venues.
3: So I'm looking at the flyer, Shelly, and I'm looking at the photo insert. I don't know uh, when that photo was taken, if that's uh, its current condition or if that's
4: what it looked like prior. It's pretty much a current picture. Okay. Well, I so mean, it, it looks like... She needs new windows, new seats, just new carpeting, you know. Just gotcha. And... I don't know if you've heard anything about the Ellis Theater in Philadelphia. I toured there the other day with the Marty Stewart Congress in Music, Mm -hmm. and it's fantastic. It's so beautiful, and I got to see the seats. They bought the seats from some other theater that went out of business Mm -hmm. and completely just transferred them to the Ellis Theater. And I think that's where we're wanting to go with the Temple Theater and what we have in mind to bring her back to that 1920s 1930s look and just to celebrate her
3: yeah because it kind of does look a bit art deco like from the glory days of broadway and and when that was popular in in theater
4: and Uh, the stage of the temple theater is what is so fascinating any artist that has ever played on the temple theater stage will tell you it compares to the rodman oh wow so Hmm. Meridian has a talent pool of musicians. I have 22 people from within 100 miles that are playing at this event. Hmm. And some of them are bigger names. Some of them are on their way up. And songwriters. I'm a songwriter. I I write songs daily in children's books. I guess that's my therapy, I guess. But these songwriters are just so excited to just be able to do something for their community and do something for a place that a lot of them started out on. Or it's been a dream of theirs to play on the Temple Theater. I have a couple of musicians that have never played on the Temple Theater, and they're so excited to play on it. They're just appreciative. And they want to do anything that they can to make sure that she you know, stays who she is.
3: Have there been... Some uh, performers that have, have risen far beyond and, and achieved uh, fame in their, uh, with their performing art?
4: Well, Todd Tillman. Yeah. He is from Meridian. Track 45, Ben Johnson. He's a songwriter now in Nashville. Adam Box is a drummer. He plays for Brothers Osborne. Hmm. So those are just to name a few. Um, we have someone that is Steve Azars, one of his, like he manages them, Tyler Tisdale, he's from Petal, he'll be joining Mm us. And then just our local favorites, you know, we have, you know, Daniel House playing, Kevin Robinson, Peter Ocello, Scott McQuaig, have you ever heard of Scott McQuaig? I haven't. Um, He was very, very big, early 90s, still plays very heavily around town, brick goalie, Jackie Jack White is another songwriter musician, he used to produce and is still actually producing the Sugunachi Review, which is similar to our event that we're doing um, where Sunday afternoons he invites musicians to play and it's just a fun collaborative event. Mm -hmm. And music is really a part of Meridian. And Jimmy Rogers is from Meridian Mm -hmm. and every year we have the Jimmy Rogers Music Festival. And so many people have played in Jimmy Rogers on the Temple Theater stage Elvis has played at the Temple Theater and during the Jimmy Rogers Talent Fest Elvis came in third (laughs) so there's just so much history and if you ever have a chance to sit down with Ken Rainey and let him tell you his stories of the experiences that he has had with musicians and performers and just the country music scene it's fascinating he's 81 years old and again he's produced over 2,000 shows at the Temple Theater in fact he has two coming up here in the next week he has Ballet Manificat um, from here from here in Jackson Mm -hmm. um, coming to Meridian to perform I think it's it's a Christmas Mm -hmm. production and Mm -hmm. then Todd Tillman will be playing that Saturday after Thanksgiving so He's still working. He's still creating and trying to make our city rich in the arts.
3: Uh, what about the business community, Shelley? Are they on board with this? Supportive of this?
4: They are. As with any nonprofit initiative, people are hurting. Sure. And you know, funds are tight, and so we understand that. That's why we have several different ways of revenue with the sponsorship, with ticket sales, and with the album downloads. So hopefully with the blend of the three, we will be very, very successful.
3: Sounds like a a great effort and a great event coming up. Tell us the time and date again.
4: So it is on Sunday, December the 4th. Doors open at 1. We start playing music at 2. And you can go to itickets.com to buy your tickets or you can call the meridian station also if you would be interested in sponsorship 601-693-1103 again that's 601-693-1103 and get your tickets at itickets.com and it's called live from the temple
3: thanks for coming on shelly great overview yeah fascinating good luck we're coming right back in the element well studios stay with us
2: Fans. It's
0: time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Little GTO, you really look it Three deuces and a
1: four
3: We are back in the Element Well Studios here on Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Secretary of State of the Great State of Mississippi, Michael Watson, on the program at eleven oh five. We'll talk about the incredibly low turnout. The lowest voter turnout in these United States on election day occurred here in Mississippi. He'll also talk about the attempted uh, election tampering that occurred last week had a denial-of-service attack that rendered the Secretary of State's website's electronic systems inoperable for a brief period of time. Did recover, but had a DOS attack last week on Election Day, right? Things
2: went into crime. That's uh-huh. true.
3: So let's see here on the ceasefire text line. Jason says, full disclosure. Oh, first he said, you're right about that. Hobbs is weird and strikes me as a (laughs) B-word. Republicans win this seat if they run anything other than an almost militant far-right person who literally tells moderates and independents to get out.
2: Yeah, that is one part of the equation that seems to be getting left out in most of the conversation. What's that? Is Carrie Lake's adamant distancing from the McCain Republicans. Yeah.
3: I do think that was a factor. She too was a a television journalist, was she not? I think she had a career. Is that seems to, seem to right. recall? Jason also says, Mister Gerard, your words yesterday about Trump's election nonsense ripping the party apart was further proven last night with Carrie Lake's loss. Before anyone texted in, crying foul, a couple of House spots flipped are on the same exact ballots here in Arizona. Full disclosure, Jason goes on to say, I gave quite a few bucks and volunteered to mail some stuff for Karen Taylor Robinson. She wins the race if the party hadn't sabotaged her. I'm not familiar with that one, Jason. Uh, give me some uh, information on that. Paul Davis on the Ceasefire text line, referring to another uh, very famous artist, recording artist from the Meridian area. I agree with you, and thanks for um, reminding. I love Paul Davis's music. It's awesome. He's very talented. Passed away a few years ago, as I recall, Rhino, I believe. April twenty second, 2008. Okay. More than a few, I guess. Very talented. And um, was popular, as I recall, his music in particular in the early 80s kind of comes to mind. But, yeah, no doubt. Very talented writer, vocalist. Played instruments as well. But, yeah, from that eastern Mississippi area over there in Meridian. Appreciate that for letting us know. Oh, sorry, Terry. We'll pass on to Shelley. Wanted to say hello to Ken Rainey. Kirk from Columbus says, but we'll get it to her. I personally like Donald Trump, but at this time and point, I think he is becoming a liability for the Republican Party. You know, just anecdotally, Rhino, that does appear to be the popular view. Uh, you're seeing more of that. And when Donald Trump, or any politician for this matter, when they lose their influence, their power, not, it's not when they leave, it's when people leave them. And I think we're starting to see that. And it will be interesting to see the reaction tonight. Now, for what it's worth, it's early, right, for the 24 election cycle. The president will be on the ballot. Governor DeSantis is leading in Iowa and New Hampshire. First primaries occur in those states. And he's leading nationally. Again, these are just polls by various polling organizations. Take that for whatever value you wish. I actually believe they're getting better. I think they're getting more accurate, more telling. Uh, But that's where it stands right now. I would also say that if you remember in the 16th cycle, Trump very effectively cleared the field. Was there like 17 Republican candidates? You remember that? They had a hard time getting them all on the stage in the first debate, and it got to where, in subsequent debates, they had to pick and choose who could participate just based on their, their polling at present, at the present time. But gosh, if you think about, who was it, Ben Carson, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, Chris Christie, Mike Huckabee—I can't remember them all. I just want to say that, as I recall, there was seventeen at one time.
2: Yeah, there was a crazy large number at the beginning, and it, they started dropping like flies. And he was—he was, uh, he was um, dismissing them <laughs> one at a time, was he not?
3: And was very effective. And I think the country yearned for his style. I really do at the time. I think they were looking for something other than the traditional kind of get along to go along, straight line, don't make any waves candidate. I think the country was weary of that. And as you recall, just prior to the 16th cycle, I think the so-called establishment was all in on Jeb Bush and the powerful Bush family in the Republican Party, and many pundits thought, that's a done deal, he's going to win. Well-funded, governor of a big state, fairly well-liked in that big state, Florida.
2: And then he went and picked that goofy font for his logo with Remember Jeb, that? with the exclamation point. That was terrible. And stood up on stage, and please clap, and all the wind <laughs> left his sails.
3: It was like Times Roman or something, wasn't it? It It was funky. It was terrible. I agree. And and So here's the other thing I was going to say. If you think about who appears to be the most likely stiff opposition for Donald Trump in a primary would be Ron DeSantis. In my opinion, the difference between Governor DeSantis and the field that... Donald Trump faced in the primary in 16, and again, he dispensed with each one of them almost one at a time there. The difference is, thinking back to 16, DeSantis doesn't seem to be rattled by Trump. He doesn't seem to be rattled by him. He doesn't seem to be intimidated. He doesn't seem to be affected. Whereas, thinking back especially in those early debates, situations where they were all together on the stage, Trump just stood out, no doubt. And the others looked like, what is this guy? Who is this guy? They couldn't couldn't respond effectively. And his use of labels and pejoratives and insults caught them off guard. They weren't prepared for it. And they just didn't mount an effective... Not just a defense, but they didn't go on offense. They didn't know how. Couldn't play in his sandbox. And I think he benefited from that. I think DeSantis is a different animal, from what I can tell. Now, I could be shocked, and it could be that he wilts as well. But I don't think so. I just don't feel like it. And I think he's going to have significant momentum and base of support and money behind him, it's going to be a much more difficult, challenging task uh, for Donald Trump. And so, to to the point I was making earlier about people leaving him, you're starting to see that, one by one. Calling for him to stand down, don't run. Most are saying, you can't win. Now, I don't know how such information to Donald Trump, influences his decisions. I don't know that anybody can say, Mr. President, you can't win. Get out of the way. In fact, you may hurt, clearly, uh, the party overall, and the country overall. I don't know that he responds to that. I don't know that he,
2: he heeds to that. What do you think? No, I, unless it came from some... Like, if if his family went to him and said, please don't. That'd be about it. That's about the only people that could get him to not.
3: I think that's right.
2: And even so, then, it'd probably be an argument. On the c I agree. c
3: text line, Jeb Bush was not going to win because Obama had blamed all problems on George Bush the last ten years. You know, it, it is certainly a plausible theory that the, at that point, coming on the heels of the uh, banking fiasco, which happened, at, obviously, at the end of the Trump, uh, excuse me, pardon me, the Bush, the Bush uh, administration. And as I recall, McCain, right, running against uh, Obama in the first cycle in 08, I think was a weak candidate overall, but he was leading in the polls through, like, September until the banking crash, and then everything flipped. I think he wins if we don't have the banking crash. I really do. But I do think that pull bush down. It's a good point. Time for a break here on Middays. We are in the Element Well Studios. We're talking politics, a lot of other stuff. Got some economics to talk about as well. Your money. Michael Watson, Secretary of State, is coming on the program after the break at the top of the hour. Stay with us. Coming us into this final segment of Hour One on this Tuesday on Middays. Gerard and Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And speaking of which, the Producer Price Index, the acronym, of course, PPI, it is a measure of inputs into the production process so it's really it's a it's in a, a measurement of inflation at the wholesale level as opposed to the retail level which is measured by the consumer price index and then there's also another measurement the PCE personal consumption uh, consumer expense index um, the PPI wholesale inflation, Came in better than expected, meaning it wasn't as high as most of the analysts were thinking it was going to be, and that has propelled the markets upward in the green today, the Dow up 225, the NASDAQ up significantly, even more than that. Uh, Let's see, it was up about 250, 300 last I checked. Yeah, 277 is the present reading on the NASDAQ. The tech-heavy NASDAQ, that's a function of inflation up, and money came out of treasuries, so yields on the treasuries are down, and that boosts growth stocks, which you find on the NASDAQ and the tech sector. And so the NASDAQ's having a really good day. It's a rally in progress, at least for now, and it's just because there's some feeling among the investment community that maybe this inflation thing is at least plateauing at least plateauing. And uh, I think they're expecting that to give the Fed some cover to perhaps moderate their rather aggressive interest rate hiking strategy that we have experienced this year. So that's where we are on the money situation. William in Greenville on the C Spire says not going to make any difference if they elect McCarthy, House leader. William, I believe, referring to what appears to be imminent, that Republicans will control the House. Uh, why do you feel that way, William? Why are you concerned about, uh, serious question, why are you concerned about McCarthy and not making any difference? Be specific. Tell, tell us what your thoughts are. I, I'm just curious, would like to know that. Uh, you know, I will say this, Rhino, I'm, I'm starting to see Republicans come out and they're being asked, okay, if you guys get the House, doesn't look like you're going to get the Senate, what are you going to do to address voters' concerns? The top concern, based on all the polls, prior to midterms, and I think it would stand today, is their wallets. Inflation, cost of living. And so I'm hearing more Republicans say, we got to cut the spending. Okay, I'm with you. I just want to hear some specifics, such as if we went through the federal budget and looked at the major categories of spending, the line items, if you will, which one of these are you in favor of cutting, and by how much? It's a fair question. Let's start with where we spend the most. Social Security, you want to cut that? Medicare, you want to cut that? Medicaid, you want to cut that? Debt interest, you can't control. How do you cut that? These other range of welfare programs, you want to cut those? Okay. Be specific. Which ones? By how much? That's in the mandatory component of spending. Let's go over to the discretionary. And by the way, tell us how you're going to do that not having a supermajority in the Senate. You need 60 votes to reform those programs, to adjust them meaningfully. Let's go to the discretionary bucket. The top spending component of discretionary outflows, military, Department of Defense. It's about $750 billion a year. It accounts for two-thirds of discretionary spending. How much do you want to cut? Specifically, what do you want to cut? Now let's look at the other bucket, which is of discretionary spending which accounts for about a third of it. And that's this entire giant complex of government. It's all the other agencies. The Department of Justice, the EPA, Department of Human Services, I can't even think of all of them. Department of Transportation, Department of Labor. Which one of those do you want to cut, and by how much, and how do you intend to achieve that? Where will those cuts come from? you cutting personnel you are you cutting other administrative spence, expenses it's a serious question all i'm saying is i'm i'm with you i am for you i want to see that as well be specific give us a plan don't just talk at the abstract high level yeah we got to rein in that spending that's a yawner it's a yawner be specific actionable articulate it at a detailed level Taking a break right here. Coming back after the news with Secretary of State Michael Watson. Stay with us.
0: And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your
2: transition now.
0: Now. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: everyone hour two of midday super talk mississippi live from the element well studios Uh, joining us now is the secretary of state of the great state of mississippi our good friend michael watson mr secretary thanks for coming on
1: man great to be here this morning we're in desoto county i'm in my third city already this morning so uh great to get a couple minutes to chat with you what you traveling around for today you visiting with the
3: clerks and so forth
1: So today is actually promote the vote. We've been in some schools this morning talking about the importance of elections and and why you should be engaged. And Obviously, we just had a big election last week, so a great time to be in the schools talking to them about why it's important that they vote later in life.
3: Gosh, I hope that that is resonating with them, especially given our, let's be honest, rather rather poor showing in the state last week.
1: Yeah, we've not gotten the final numbers yet, but it's going to look like something around 35, maybe 40 at tops uh, percent. Uh, so again, better than we saw in the primary, but unfortunately, uh, we still need more Mississippians to get engaged to come out and hold government accountable uh, at the polls and, and that's their voice. that's their opportunity to say, look, this country's going in the right direction or the wrong direction uh, we we believe in what's happening in our state or not and uh, that's how you control and how you have a voice and a say in how our country is uh, going to gonna to go forward here.
3: Do you think maybe uh, Mr. Secretary is because? Uh, we didn't have maybe a higher-level headliner uh, election on the ballots. Not saying whatsoever that voting for our, our House of Representative members is very important, obviously, uh, in our republic. But we didn't have a president on the ballot, uh, we, and, and we didn't have much other than that, right? So we had some judges, maybe some municipal as well, and um, I, I heard from, just anecdotally, in the Tri-County area, even with respect to the judges, a lot of those unopposed as well, so on the ballot, right. which, which may be a factor. And I just wonder if folks just think, you know, the districts as they are aligned, having just redistricted in the state of Mississippi, those are just going to go the way they're going to go. My vote is really irrelevant in the outcome.
1: We know it's it's unfortunate Gerard. you talk about we just had congressional elections and maybe that's why the turnout wasn't so high but like we were talking about this morning uh, with a bunch of eighth graders when you look at municipal elections and and understanding those are the folks that are closest to you that can have the quickest impact on your life those turnout numbers are really low as well yeah Uh, so it's not just that it was only congressional i think it's just a lack of the entire population they just aren't engaged. And it's almost like, look, I, I, don't, I don't like politics. I, I don't care about politics. I'm just going to go about my own everyday life. That's why we lose control of government. When we're not engaged, when we're not holding them accountable, they, they tend to get comfortable. And when they get comfortable, they forget about who they serve. That's why it's important for us to be engaged and go to the polls and have our voices heard.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point you make there, Mr. Secretary, is that uh, how does this kind of influence the thinking of elected officials and candidates? Uh, and I think that's a great point in that you got to remember who you work for here. And when folks show up in mass in great numbers at the polls, it sends a pretty sharp reminder to them that, you know, this is a privilege to serve. And at the ballot box, right. it can be removed quite easily. If you don't act right right and uh, you're not accountable to the people who put you there in the first place.
1: That's right. And look, we were in a school a couple weeks ago in uh, Brookhaven, Gerard. And one of the kids was a fifth grader and had a great conversation with him. And he said, hey, uh, do, do do our tax dollars pay your salary? And I said, you don't understand how important the question is that you just asked. Absolutely. Your tax dollars pay our salary, which means I work for you. You are the boss. You're the one that has to hold me accountable to make sure I'm doing what I told you I would do, doing my job and doing it correctly. Uh, and when we can get more people engaged and understand that idea, it's your tax dollars. I work for you. So you're the one that should be out there engaged and holding me accountable to make sure I do my job. Not only me, but every other elected official in this state and in this country.
3: Wow, that's that's refreshing that that question came from an eighth grader, is what you said, right? An eighth grader is thinking about that. <laughs> How
1: do we get more adults to ask that question? (laughs) Now, I will say this was a gifted class, and they were really, really sharp. Uh, and, and those are the ones that I have great fun conversations with. Just this morning, same yeah. thing, we were talking about why it's important uh, to, to be engaged. What are the decisions that government makes? And look, right now, these kids are thinking about, well, what am I having for lunch? Uh, yeah. is, is the sure. football field gonna be in good shape when I go to play? Sure. And I was telling them, the decisions that are important to you now, later in life, it's gonna be, do I have a good road or a bridge to get to work on? Do I have good schools for my children? Do I have good law enforcement to keep my family safe? That's why it's important to get engaged and have your voice heard.
3: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, you know, uh, I'll be honest, until 2008, I've told this story before on the air, I didn't really pay much attention to it until I saw what how it might affect me in business, and that was during the uh, campaign for president and the, and the discussion and uh, plans for health care reform and how that might affect me as a, as a business owner, which it clearly has and did, right? Other than that, I kind of sure. felt like, well, they're there, I'm here, just leave me alone, I got it. I wish that were the case, and I know you would agree with me. I think what's at the heart of this, Mr. Secretary, is that we the people perhaps have conferred too much power to those who govern. They got too much power, why else would they spend $200 million in a Senate race in Pennsylvania? That's just how powerful. It shouldn't make that much of a difference, and that's the way the Founders intended for it to be. And we have drifted so far away uh, from uh, the constitutional obligations of government. We've morphed it into so many other things. It has gotten too dang powerful. And that's why we need to be engaged right. to keep it in check.
1: But look, you know, we talk about this, the, uh, the inverted pyramid that we're seeing now. When the Founding Fathers formed our government... You look at it like a pyramid at the very bottom base. The the most important piece of that pyramid were the people. Yeah. You know, and and that's how it should be. Well, unfortunately, now it's been inverted where the bottom now is the people and it's the smallest part of the pyramid. with this big federal government on top of us. That's what we've got to change. We've got to get people engaged to understand the bigger government is, the fewer decisions you get to make for yourself. That's not how it's supposed to be.
3: Yeah, you made another good point about how you can be directly, personally impacted by municipal elections. Look no further than the craziness that we have discovered going on in our schools in this country and how critically important school board officials now, those that we elect to serve on our school boards that are, to a great extent, deciding – the content, the curriculum, and and a lot of other aspects of operating the schools that are educating our children, that is incredibly important.
1: When you think about that, there may not be any more important office in the country than school board. That's shaping our future. The decisions that we make at our schools, how our children are educated, that's going to come home to roost. And so we've got to be engaged at that level as well.
3: There's no doubt about it. Uh, And we've seen... Uh, A bit of a change in attitude because parents are getting more involved, showing up at these school board meetings. Not quite as extreme in Mississippi. We haven't seen quite as much radicalism occurring. At least if it's occurring, it hasn't been exposed or reported. But in some of the other areas of the country, it has. And parents are speaking up. And there's even people in, at the, at the, uh, in the House of Representatives, I saw Representative Swalwell, the others say, well, parents r- really shouldn't be involved in their school's education. That's, that's tantamount to uh, a patient being involved in the decision-making with a doctor. Well, yeah, that's how that's supposed to work. Doctors don't have free reign over your body. I mean, he just made the case for exactly what we think the way it should work, that we need to be involved.
1: Yeah, and look, as, as parents are coming uh, to grips with, that is our God-given responsibility, our children, uh, and their education is so important. So to have parents start to wake up and say, wait a minute, we do need to have a voice in this and how our children are educated is so incredibly important, And which is one of the reasons way back when, before it got popular, we were supporting, or I was supporting, a parental choice in education. Yeah, When you can get parents engaged in education with the decisions for how their children are going to be raised and educated, that's when you get this country turned around. Uh, that's when it's great for children to have their parents alongside them.
3: We got a couple of minutes left, Mr. Secretary. You had a denial of service attack on Secretary of State's uh, IT systems last week. Uh, you were able to rapidly recover from that. Just real quickly, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so uh, Eric Yocum and his team uh, do a phenomenal job in our office. I can't thank them enough. ITS was was great as well to assist us in what's going on. Just after lunch, I got a phone call that said, hey, we've seen a spike in activity. Uh, we're not sure exactly what this is yet, but the website is down. And so uh, as reports have come out now, it was the longest sustained attack in the country was on Mississippi. And I can't overemphasize the importance of cybersecurity and what we're doing in our office. Again, hats off to our team. They did a phenomenal job. We did have some service interruptions. But importantly, Gerard, this happened a few weeks ago. So we were prepared. We were ready to go. We told our clerks how to handle this if this happens. Thank the good Lord that Mississippi was, was on its toes and we were ready for it.
3: Yeah, hats off to them. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, you got a great team there. ITS as well participated in the recovery effort. They're good folks, know what they're doing, had a lot of experience with them. But So the, the point is the bad guys are out there and they're looking to do this kind of stuff to interfere with our elections. There's no doubt about it. Not to change the votes in the voting machines, to interfere with the elections that's process. Right. That's the risk. Mr. Secretary- and That's
1: very get- key there. Did not- did, Did not mess up with the election. Good point. election was good. <laughs> good point. We'll talk to you
3: soon. Take care, sir.
1: Yes, sir. Thank good,
3: you. Good to see you. Secretary of State Michael Watson has been our guest. Coming right back.
0: Three. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now onto the real part.
4: Dino Mike.
0: On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Back everyone, midday super talk Mississippi. Thanks to the Secretary of State Michael Watson for joining us. Yeah, they did have a denial of service attack, which is it's it's a, a cyber attack where the uh, attacker sends uh, uses tools to flood certain uh, IP addresses with just a barrage of traffic. It's just garbage junk data bits, if you will,
2: that uh, overwhelms those systems. Yeah, it's an artificial iteration of what happens when you have a a big-name artist that's doing their last show, one final go, and everybody wants tickets. Yeah. So everybody's trying to get to this one location on the Internet, and the servers just can't handle all the traffic. Well, instead of that happening organically with thousands of people trying to log on, it's just a computer or a series of computers just sending nonsense constantly.
3: That's absolutely right. Uh, it's it's uh, nefarious tools that generate the traffic, and they target specific IP addresses. It it could be servers as well uh, that connected on those networks, and yeah, and the idea is to just render them inaccessible. In a
2: non-digital sense, it would be like if someone could control an army of little remote control cars. Think of the chaos that would cause in inner-city traffic. Right. That's right. So the,
3: one of the first – you did a great job of explaining the difference between when that occurs naturally just because there are a lot of users trying to access those sites. The um, student loan forgiveness, right, a few weeks oh, yeah. ago, was an example of that. The site was not uh, inaccessible because of a uh, denial of service attack. It was inaccessible because it simply wasn't configured to accommodate the con- the uh, concurrent amount of traffic trying to access it, users trying to access it. And that brought it down. That's organically. And you're right. What these nefarious tools do is essentially simulate that, except it's just garbage junk. Uh, I remember in the early days when this was a bigger issue, and this was before we had this technology called load balancing that's fairly common today. And, and all that really means is that you could have websites stored across multiple servers, multiple hosting of servers, and stored in, in multiple data centers so that they're not all concentrated in one place. And you would load balance the traffic to those. So you could accommodate a huge load of traffic. Well, before that technology existed, one of the first examples I remember of websites going down due to natural, organic attempts to access a certain site was the Victoria's Secret lingerie show that that they were uh, publishing real-time, online video of the Victoria's Secret lingerie show. Gee, I wonder
2: why that one crashed.
3: (laughs) And and I and I I tell you that gave rise
2: to a. It was also long before you really had a whole lot of video
3: streaming online. That's right. Didn't have compression algorithms and and didn't have the powerful networks we have today and servers. I mean, so the infrastructure in general was really a fraction in terms of its power and capacity. Real player was still a thing at that point. That's correct. Real player was the way When's you... When's the last time you saw a real player I, I on haven't computer. heard the word in 10 years, it doesn't seem like. <laughs> Forgot all about that. You don't need all that stuff anymore to view video content. But you used to. Oh, yeah. You had to have a client installed on your local system, in fact, to to cue that up. But anyhow, it was the, it was the old lingerie show. I often thought, yeah, it was the Victoria's secret lingerie show that served as a catalyst for the invention of all this load-balancing technology. Um, but that was the first example I remember of, of it just getting national you know, notoriety. And then the Obamacare websites. Same deal. When those first went live. Same deal. That was 14, 8 years ago. Technology's come a long way uh, since then. So now, bad guys simulate it. It's what they do. They've, they've kind of Come up with the idea of simulating these, these just storms of garbage data uh, so as to consume all the bandwidth on the network and the capacity of the server and take it down. Anyhow, that's enough on our technology <laughs> lecture for today.
2: Well, from the ceasefire text line, it <laughs> simplifies it even more than mine. In simple terms, it creates a traffic jam on that network. That's
3: a good good explanation, good analogy. Yes, Absolutely. Carolyn Starkville says, as Trump made a statement today, he hasn't, but he's been teasing that it is coming tonight. In fact, it just came up on the screen here in the Element Well studios. Trump making, I'm reading the headline, Trump making very big announcement in quotes tonight. It's in quotes because that was his words. That's what he said. That's how he teased it. I, I can't imagine it's anything but him announcing that he's running for president. 2024. I think that's coming. Let's see. Uh, So Marion Greenwood is really all over me today. She says, I'm getting just like Democrats, can't reason with me anymore. Well, Mary, honestly, what you've sent us, and I'm happy to read it, I, I, I submit that I understand you think I'm being unreasonable, but do you believe that your statement is reasonable? Mary says, why are all of a sudden people turning against Trump? I agree his mouth is his worst enemy, but you're not going to find a perfect candidate. Other than DeSantis, the other candidates won't stand up to those Democrats. We need a fighter. DeSantis can wait. He's young. So if if y'all, the media, would stop criticizing him, he could win again. You're giving the January 6th committee exactly what they wanted, beginning to think you're a rhino, Gerard. So, as she says, stop bashing Trump, Mary in Greenwood. So, Mary, here's, here's how I would couch it. I don't see it as bashing Trump. I see it as being realistic and open-eyed and clear-eyed and logical.
2: Yeah, because in 2016, he didn't have the now six years of baggage weighing him down to defeat a field of 17, 18 other Republicans in the primary. He's going to have to win a primary if he wants to win the White House. And now he's got six years of negative press weighing him down. He's got six years of people seeing, oh, this is what he's going to do. Because beforehand, it, was an, it wasn't a known commodity. You could hope for the best. Now you're seeing his true colors, and a lot of people are going, ah, is there nobody else we could vote for?
3: Not only I think is your analysis there, Rhino, accurate, it's it's totally accurate when you consider that now you got more of a resume, right? I will say this as well. Again, thinking logically, thinking clearly. Republicans had much as much to do with the rise of Trump and his ultimate ascendancy into the White House as Democrats did. Meaning Democrats not being the preferred candidate, Hillary, and their policies. It was Republicans who I think got complacent. It was in, in that time period, in the 16 time period. It was Republicans who we seem to have in the party this next person in line mentality. That does exist. Oh, yeah. Much more so it does in the Democrat uh, world. Whereas, oh, the next person in line is Jeb Bush. That's what they were all calling for. You remember all the the headline, big name, influential Republicans. Jeb Bush. Why? Because he's the next person in line. No other reason. That's not how we should select and elect our president, any uh, uh, political leader for that matter. Next in line should be irrelevant. I think that's consistent with my refrain of the march to mediocrity. Next in line. There's no value in that, my view. Should be the best candidate. So it's my view, in response to Mary here, that Trump can't win. It's just my view. You may share a different one. I can tell you this, the people lined up with the same view in the Republican Party that voted, as I did, and supported Donald Trump. I think they, too, believe that. What I want is the best thing for the country. I've also seen this in social media, Rhino, that I totally take exception to. Is Well, we got to elect Trump because he deserves it. No. Nobody deserves political office. You're not entitled to political office.
2: With the current binary you've got with Trump and DeSantis, because they're really the only two people that seem to have a dog in this race, it really boils down to there's a lot of people that would vote for DeSantis that wouldn't vote for Trump. That doesn't work the other way around.
3: That's exactly right. Now, don't get me wrong. If Trump emerges as the nominee, I'm going to vote for him. There are a lot of people that sort of take their toys and go ho- home and get mad, which is, I think, how we ended up in the political situation we are now to a great extent. Not going to do that. But I just don't think he's got the best chance of winning against the Democrats at 24. Coming right back here in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us.
0: With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: We are back in the Element Well Studios, midday, Super Talk Mississippi. Crude oil up to 86 bucks today. The Dow now below the 200 up mark at 173. We'll see how it closes out. The man I'm telling you, those last 10 or 15 minutes are fast and furious on the markets these days. Kelso and Ocean Springs says the irony in Mary's message about being unable to be reasoned with is priceless. Chris from Oxford. Wouldn't it be something if he fooled everybody, talking about Trump, and his big announcement was that he's backing Ron DeSantis. You mean Ron DeSanctimonious. And he's going to be the vice presidential nominee. Yeah, that would be something, Chris, but I don't think that's what's going to happen.
2: Especially not after coining Ron DeSanctimonious.
3: Yeah. I don't see that happening. I like Trump, but we don't need another 80-year-old in office on the C spire text line i do believe 7980 is that right i think he's I think, actually 78 i believe he's 76 now yeah he's 76 now 76 yeah okay the democrats are in complete control of the republicans you are giving them exactly what they want you they want let's see the democrats are in complete control of the republicans what exactly do you mean on that by that what does that mean, you think?
2: I think they're trying to say that by us pointing out that it's uh, not advisable to go after the one Republican that won big in the midterms mm-hmm. and coin nicknames like Ron DeSanctimonious, by pointing out that that's not advisable, we're bashing Trump and therefore siding with the Democrats? I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. You know, uh,
3: it's, it's quite the opposite. Think logically here. What they want ...is for us to come in and be all in for Trump, because they know they can beat him. It's the exact reason why they spent hordes of money backing Republicans who were attached to Trump in the primaries, and then defeating them in the general. That's what they want. We're playing by their playbook. This is what we're doing, and what, honestly, I think the majority of the people in this country are doing... Which, was calling for a, which is calling for a change, is what they don't want. Because they know that the, the route to defeating a Ron DeSantis, as an example, is uh, much more r- riddled with obstacles than is the route to defeat Donald Trump. He's easy, honestly. Plenty of fodder. Plenty of history to point to. And the media obsesses, much more so over him than they do to Sanders. I'm not saying they wouldn't ratchet it up. He's just a more difficult figure, I think, to obsess with. For one, he's not going to be on Twitter every day because the media was obsessed with his tweets every day. I found them often entertaining, but I do think it influenced voters. I think that the drama... Uh, in particular. So, I don't see it the same way. Thomas and Greenwood says, let's see, tell Mary that I'm to the right of her and her vote for Trump won't count because I'll cancel out if he's the candidate. And your closing comment was why we don't have conservatives. Republicans know you'll vote for them no matter how fiscally irresponsible they are, Maybe. They would be more conservative if if they were like me. Thomas holding himself up as the conservative gold standard here, Rhino, and support them when they aren't conservative when in office. A serious question, he says, so what's the incentive for Trump not to run or to be conservative if he actually won, with you saying you'll vote for him if he's on the ballot? So the incentive is that My vote won't get him elected here in the state of Mississippi. The incentive is that he should read and heed the polls that are showing he's down. The incentive is that if you can't win in Pennsylvania, we talked about this yesterday, Wisconsin and Michigan, you cannot win. And I do not think if he were serious and he's got the money to go pay for some polls in those states, which is what he ought ought to do, because the rest of the states that are going for him anyhow, the Republican... Don't matter. That'd be like polling in California. Why would you spend money if you're Trump polling in California or New York? You need to poll, and it's honestly, it's in the handful of counties that make a difference. That's where you need serious analysis. That's what I would do. So it's not Mississippi's got to worry about, you know, and our six electoral votes. No, he's got to worry about Pennsylvania, Florida. Think about that. What if it's he in DeSantis? Or suppose he's uh, the candidate in the general? I'm not sure he takes Florida if he defeats DeSantis. You can't win Florida, you're done. Texas. But it but more importantly, assuming those go red, which are certainly a higher probability today than they were in I think in sixteen and twenty. What propelled Trump into the White House was the shock of winning Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and and then Ohio, because that was iffy. That's what made the difference. North Carolina, you remember that one? That was edgy. That's where he ought to be polling and checking his stock and his favorability. Doesn't matter, Mississippi. He's going to carry Mississippi regardless with our six electoral votes. So, I disagree with you. Now, with respect to being fiscally conservative, Thomas, I know this comes up a lot. I would be curious to know exactly what you mean by that, and I'll ask you the same question that I think needs to be posed to our elected leaders is, specifically, what will they support cutting? Even reducing increases. We have an 8.3% Social Security increase coming up next year, would you support canceling that, as an example? Is that a political winner, as an example? Just for starters, uh, be specific, serious question, because just talking at the high abstract level, that doesn't get anything done. we we got to get down into the weeds, as they say, and be more specific. So I'd be curious. Thomas 2024, let's go! (laughs) If something isn't done about this universal mail-in voting, this, of course, on the C Spire text line I'm reading from, I don't see Republicans winning much more. It favors Democrats entirely too much unless Republicans start practicing ballot harvesting. So I think, Rhino, it's worth just briefly discussing the distinction between... Mass mail-out of ballots and mail-in voting. They're two different things. And ballot uh,
2: harvesting is a different animal an, altogether.
3: Another nuance. Exactly right. So, and, and frankly, what gives rise to ballot harvesting is universal mail-out, right. mass mail-out of ballots. A person, so in Mississippi, for example, you can mail in your ballot. You have to request it, an absentee. Ballot, and it, and it requires an excuse, though, as we talked about yesterday, I'm not sure how strict the counties are in, in verifying that you have a valid excuse to receive and vote absentee. But you can request a, a mail-in uh, ballot, and then you've got to, I believe, if I'm not wrong about this, in Mississippi, somebody's got to witness it, uh, your, your vote, right? I think you have to have a witness, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm not sure if it has to be notarized or not. But the bottom line is you, you have to request it. In Mississippi, our counties don't send ballots to every address in their voter rolls. That's what's risky. Some states do. The state of Washington is the one that comes to mind where they don't even have precincts. They don't go to the polls and vote in Washington. It's all mail-in. And they send a ballot to every address stored in the county's, uh, respective counties' voter rolls. And they either send them in or they don't. Now, in some states, you cannot, like in Arizona, you can send them in or you can drop them off at the clerk's office or at the, at the, where they tabulate ballots. In the case of Maricopa County, it's like this giant room, tent-like circus rooms. what it looks like if you've seen pictures. You can drop them off. And many did, by the way, like 700,000 or something crazy on, I don't know what the figure was across Arizona, on, um, but it was a big number. On election day.
2: Whereas ballot harvesting is they mail out the ballots to the addresses they have on the voter rolls. Yep. And then representatives from the different parties go around collecting the ballots to take to the ballot box for them. But with ballot harvesting, you have many examples of showing up to a house and going, all right, we're here for all the Democrat votes because we're here from the Democrat Party. So those get turned in. And in states like California, where the Republican Party doesn't have a whole lot of people on the ground doing that, it does tend to favor Democrats more. That's right. But why aren't Republicans playing that game? So what they do is they say, hey, you got a ballot.
3: Let me help you fill that out. This is a really good one here. Vote here. That's essentially how it works. Right. And then I'll deliver it for you. Yeah. Nothing. And in some states, that's perfectly legal. Perfectly legal. So why aren't Republicans playing that game? Right. That, that's really where you're more likely to get uh, some sort of tainting and tilting of the election is with the ballot harvesting from the mail out, not the mail in. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios on Middays.
0: You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Chicago, twenty-five or six to four, bumming us into this final segment of hour two. Larry and My says maybe it's time we start thinking about. I think you mean secession, uh, Larry, not succession. But I get it. Um, you think the state of Mississippi should secede there, Larry, from the union? A serious question. And and my uh, question also to follow up with that is. You are probably aware, I think you would be, that the ratio of federal funding that Mississippi receives to taxes paid to the federal government. We are the second most dependent state on the federal government of all the 50. Only West Virginia edges us out ever so slightly. The ratio of federal funding per dollar... It's 2.53. So for every dollar we send to the federal government, they send us $2.53 back. That amounts to last I checked on this rhino, it's I think 12 billion dollars. A big chunk of that is Medicaid. That's about 5 billion. And we contribute slightly more than a billion to Medicaid, the state does. So let's think about that. It's not just the federal government. It's the other states. And unfortunately, it's the deep blue states that we rely on for our very economic existence. That's what we should be focused on. It's lessening our dependence on the federal government. Which, by connection, are the other states. It's the taxpayers in the other states that are paying for Mississippi. And that's without Medicaid expansion, which would bring in another billion. Actually, it's more than that now. So we're the most dependent. And, you know, we're celebrating... And I get it—the American Rescue Plan. Our state got a billion eight at the state level, and then we had a similar amount distributed across the county and city municipal level. And of course, they're all putting that to, to use. I mean, and, and it has designated uses: water infrastructure, roads, bridges, etc. But let's be honest. That contributed to our debt and our deficit. Joe Biden, of course, Joe Biden, of course, uh, signed off on that plan. Not a single Republican supported it, but all 50 states are welcoming the money. and all we did was add 1.9 trillion to the debt and produced a nearly $3 trillion deficit in Biden's first year, and then he turns around and brags because he lowered the deficit, which is only because he didn't pass another $1.9 trillion boondoggle. You see how we get $31 trillion in debt?
2: I always kind of giggle at the idea of secession because I remember how California wanted to get out after Trump was elected in 2016. The Cal exit. Oh, it was a big push. It was uh, Yay California or something like that. That was a group trying to get it on the ballot. And they didn't quite get enough signatures the first time around. And then I think they gave up on the signatures after Biden was elected because they were doing it again in 2020. I do remember that. That's right. Trying to get Californians to vote on whether or not to leave the union. (laughs) And you know what? You may not like California, and you may be
3: happy if they seceded, but the reality is they got a better chance of self-sufficiency than all the other states. Now, to a great extent, it's because they it got 42 million people and an incredibly diverse economy. But that ought to be our goal, is weaning our state off this dependency. I, you know, I asked the same question about Medicaid expansion. I know a lot of folks in the, in the state oppose Medicaid expansion, and I'm on record of opposing it as well. And I, and we talked about this around the studio yesterday. I still think that we're not paying enough attention to what just recently was enacted in the Inflation Reduction Act, which which was an expansion, uh, an extension of the Obamacare enhancements that were enacted in the American Rescue Plan, which essentially provides the same, virtually the same coverage to able-bodied adults, which is what Medicaid expansion covers. It's zero premiums for up to 150 percent of the federal poverty level. did a lot of research on that, by the way, after our meeting yesterday to just confirm I was and definitely that's exactly what it is. So we're not we don't seem to even be talking about that here in this state. I mean, that's enacted in place, but why don't we just exit base Medicaid if we're truly fiscally conservative, right? Coming right back News coming right now, Element Well Studios, after the news.
0: And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: everyone to midday super talk Mississippi rocking into hour three of the program today yeah so just looking at the uh funding federal funding in uh Mississippi receives yeah i'm coming up with uh six thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars per resident wow so that's twenty twenty two my figures are a little dated. So uh, quick math on that, that's nearly twenty I think it's over twenty billion dollars. I said fifteen. So it's a little higher than that. Interesting. California receives the highest total amount at forty three point six billion, but it only receives twelve bucks per resident. <laughs> And we get, gee whiz, sixty-eight eighty. That is incredible. When you think about it, just how reliant we are. Seventy two hundred eighty-three goes to West Virginia there in the top spot. New Mexico's up there as well. So we're New Mexico, West Virginia, Mississippi are all vying for who gets the most money from the federal government. Gee whiz. Jerry and Waynesboro thought this was highly illegal to accept campaign funding from foreign countries. And this is a chart that he sent on. Donations to Democrats from foreign entities like Ukraine are in violation of Executive Order 13.848 signed by Trump and Biden. That is true. Need to see a little bit more details on that. I don't know what you're talking about here, Thomas. Thomas. Denial of service attack on Truth Social? I hadn't heard that. Or are you just referring to the meme you sent there? Maybe that's what he's doing. How likely is it Trump could run as a Democrat? Hmm. That's an interesting question on the ceasefire text line. I think it would be more likely he would run as an independent than he would a Democrat.
2: Oh, yeah. I think he would come up with his own party before. Running as Democrat. Yeah. The Trump party. Oh, yeah. I can see that. I Did think 2024 version of the bull moose. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Biblically speaking, I believe the USA has to be very weakened or even non-existent before the end times play out. So none will come to Israel's aid, says Kevin in Oxford. Just my opinion. We'd love to hear your views. I'm not sure I'm following you there, Kevin. Maybe you can unravel that one for us, Rhino. I'm not sure what Kevin's trying to say. The USA has to be very weakened or non-existent before the end times. Well, I don't think. Just uh, my opinion. I don't. I don't think we're there. I don't think we're
2: approaching end times. I, d- I don't. Doesn't it say somewhere in Matthew that not even the angels know the day and the hour? Hmm. Sounds right, as I recall. Yeah, I, I don't really tend to worry too much about the end times.
3: And no one comes to Israel's aid. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, my thoughts on that were, yeah, I know some folks do hold those beliefs and truly do believe that, and they're, that's their prerogative, They're certainly uh, within their right to do so. But I would ask those same people, would you go down to a maternity ward and say, look, end times, you're having this baby and you're bringing them into the world, the world's about to end here. Would you be willing to do that? How well-received do you think that would be?
2: I mean, there are some on the political left that are, are already doing that. Maybe not going to the attorney ward to do it, but they hmm. certainly hop on social media and talk about how it's deleterious to the planet to have babies. Well, that is true. You're absolutely right.
3: And eat meat and all the other kind of stuff, right? I saw the other day now that some study in New England says that wearing masks... It actually contributes to anti-racist efforts you're not as racist if you're wearing the kids in school because they're wearing masks how the hell they study this I don't know but they're coming out and saying yeah because they're wearing masks they're not as racist what does that mean seriously I mean so they're advocating for the wearing of masks because it evidently combats racism Sounds Wrap like they had a conclusion
2: in place and then did the study to fit the conclusion. <laughs> I
3: think that's right. <laughs> what is it? Show me the criminal, I'll find the crime sort of deal? Yeah. I did take a little look at the Secretary of State of Mississippi's website just to understand absentee voting in Mississippi. In fact, you can request uh, an application to vote absentee. Uh, in the mail, through the mail, an application to be sent to you. And that does require signature of a witness. And and then, let's see, uh, just making sure I'm looking at that right, yeah. And so you contact the circuit clerk's office, say, I want to vote by mail, absentee valid. And if you qualify for that, you request an official application, for absentee electors' ballot, they mail that to you in the, in the mail, by mail, sent to you. The application will ask you to check the reason for your absence. I, I don't know that that's, again, we talked about that. I, I, to my knowledge, that's not verified in any way. But you check some reason. It requires an excuse, as they call it in Mississippi, to vote absentee. Once you get that application, you fill it out and you mail it back to your circuit clerk's office. And by the way, the bottom part of the application is in fact where a witness signs. Uh, Absentee ballot applications are signed by someone authorized to administer oath, such as a notary public, unless they're permanently or temporarily disabled. That's interesting. And then uh, once you send that back to the circuit clerk, clerk, they'll mail you your ballot within a day, a business day, or as soon as ballots are ready. And then you get that, and it's the same deal. You you cast your ballot, you get it witnessed, you send it in in the, in the specially provided envelope and sign the back of the envelope. And I think you're instructed if I'm recalling correctly, Rhino, to sign across the flap of the envelope so yeah. to match up. Yeah. So anyhow, that's the way it works in, in uh, Mississippi. But again, you have to request the ballot. A lot less subject to harvesting, which is, I think, where the tomfoolery occurs. Harvesting generally occurs when there's this mass mail-out to everybody on the voter rolls and folks literally go door-to-door. Sometimes they'll, like, go to public spaces. Hey, did you get a ballot? Let me help you with that. I'll come follow you home, whatever. I'll, I'll meet you somewhere, bring your ballot. And that happens. So I guess the question is, if, if the belief is, well, that's, that is tilting elections in favor of the Democrats, where that harvesting is legal, why isn't that happening with Republicans? Why are they doing that? Why aren't they funding that? Now, I'm not necessarily convinced that that that's swaying elections, that process. It's certainly subject to, because I think there are a lot of people that don't have a clue when they see those ballots, be they voting in person or at home via the mail. I I do think a lot of people are just not paying attention, don't know who the candidates are, need some help. Maybe they just vote straight line for a party. Maybe they don't. They're open. And I think that, but even if they're not... What's important is they may be Democrat or Republican, they just don't bother to vote. And so what the ballot harvesting does is it gets those votes. I think the Democrats just seem to do a better job, certainly in the battleground states of, of the so-called GOTB as it's called. Get out the
2: vote. Hmm. And apparently there was limited ballot harvesting by the GOP in California, and it led to at least one seat flipping in the House. That's right. That's right. It did.
3: And in the Inland Empire around Orange County, that started tilting back into the red category as well. That, by the way... Is not too terribly far from where Kevin McCarthy's from. He's from Bakersfield, California, which is ruby red. I, I lived there, believe it or not, a whole long time ago. And mainly it's because it was primarily settled by folks from the plains, from the Oklahoma, the lower plains, uh, that went out there during the Dust Bowl. That's when it happened. They settled in that Bakersfield area. It's oil rich. It's where Getty Oil used to be headquartered. The Dow now only up 87, so something's going on there that's caused it to sell off a bit. The NASDAQ's still up 219, which is good. The Eagles with Fastlane uh, bumping us out of this segment on Middays. Coming right back. Stay with us. Bumping us into this segment here on Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Well Studios. And this coming Friday, Middays, with yours truly, good things and the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be in Columbia for the annual Columbia Christmas Festival. Preparations are underway to kick off the spectacular festival, and Super Talk, Mississippi will be in downtown Columbia with all the details looking forward to that i understand due to the weather we're going to be inside this year last year we were perched outside atop the main street had a great view and it was beautiful weather but it's going to be a little cold so i think we're going to be inside this coming
2: friday unless the weatherman is completely wrong then yes yeah
3: the polls said last time trump wouldn't win either on the C Spire text line well I will say that the Trafagar and the uh, Trafogar, pardon me, is the way it's pronounced, in the Rasmussen polls were trending towards Trump winning because of polling they were doing daily in those counties, in those states where he needed to win. And so it it uh, pretty much, as we got grew closer to the election, they were calling it a, a toss-up. Now, it's true that... For the weeks and months leading up to that, he was behind in the polls. So I mean, if if so, if your view then is, and we appreciate the text on the ceasefire text line, if your view, in response to that, is that we should just ignore and disregard those and assume that Trump can win. Okay, that's a losing
2: um, strategy, and it's not the strategy strategy that Trump used in 2016. He saw that he was down in the polls and went to the battleground states. Very effectively. Uh no doubt about it. He outworked Hillary Clinton,
3: and I think that's what propelled him to victory. In those states, I remember the Sunday, I believe, prior to Election Day on Tuesday, I think he was in all three of them that day, as you recall, holding rallies, big rallies. Something else that I've read, I haven't looked at any photos or or videos, is that his rallies here of late don't have quite the same number in attendance. you seen that? Yeah. So I think that's telling. And I think that so many who said, I voted last time, I can't do it this time. Those are telling uh, data points, as are polls that especially in those uh, first primary states of Iowa and New Hampshire that show him down. Those usually are pretty dead-gum-good indicators. Biden, he got the lift when he went to South Carolina. Remember that? When he went to South Carolina and James Clyburn jumped on the Biden train. That's what did it. That's what put him in office. No doubt about it. On um, the ceasefire text line, Gerard, why do you think someone would target Mississippi's election when it really didn't have any big names and the outcome was pretty much a given? Harold and Tupelo talking about the denial-of-service attack on the Secretary of State's website. Uh, Harold, I don't think they were targeting the election. Uh, and, it, and This could be anything, Rhino, as you know, from a teenage hacker that just wanted to see if they could do it, literally, to something more syndicated, more institutional, more organized, Maybe they were just saying, well, you know what, if we could uh, infiltrate Secretary of State's sites across the country, we could do great harm to the country, uh, to America. Let's try a small state first and see how far we can get. That could be just that. It also could be, because this is a lot of times how denial of service attacks work, and and, uh, other malware cyber attacks as well, they just keep trying until they find one that they can succeed with. It's, it's kind of like a crook going into a neighborhood is an analogy. And uh, you're going door to door. Oh, this one's locked. This one's locked. This one's locked. Oh, open. I'm going
2: in that one. It's like that. It's not that they said, yeah, I'm going after the Secretary of State of Mississippi. That was pretty much the beginning, what, 15 minutes of the movie War Games? Exactly right. You're just going down a list of numbers until one of them connected, and it just happened to be NORAD.
3: That's it. Same deal. So, unfortunately, Harold, we don't have enough information. We don't have enough of a post mortem on the attack, which I assume is being conducted. That is, that is a, a, a typical uh, standard anytime there is a cyber attack to do a what's called an RCA, a root cause analysis, and and uh, it is consistent with secu- what's called. S-E-I-M, Security, Incident, and Event Management. So I'm, I feel confident that those standards are being adhered to and followed. So maybe we'll get more information. Sometimes, you know, you don't want that to be publicly disclosed because it may expose vulnerabilities and call attention to it. And so that's just done on a confidential basis. But I, I wouldn't necessarily – the point, the main point here is I, I, you can't just conclude, oh, yeah, they were trying to take down Mississippi and prevent elections. There's certainly no evidence of that at this point. But it's a, it's a reasonable question when you see that without really digging into it. It does appear, oh, they were out there take, thinking about taking down Mississippi. Some say Elon Musk is the Antichrist, says Mike from Grand Bay, Alabama. I hadn't seen that one. I missed that Oh, one. yeah,
2: that's, uh, that's been going around ever since, well, even before he took over Twitter when he was saying he was going to because he was taking the liberals' toy away. Didn't know that. God will come to
3: Israel's aid. He didn't delegate that to the U.S., says Bobby in Batesville. A serious question. If that's the case, why is Israel, why do they spend so much money on defense? And the only point I'm making is I I don't think God expects you to just sit back and say, Hey, God's got it here. You don't have to do anything. I think he gave us tools and intelligence, right, and abilities. He expects us to use them wisely in accordance. This is my belief, for what it's worth, in accordance with his word, his instructions, his doctrine. I don't think you can just rest on your laurels and say, you know, those bad guys that got those nukes pointed at Israel, we don't have to do anything, somehow God's going to intervene. I I don't happen to believe that. I think he expects us to use our God-given talents to do good here on the earth. Uh, We voted by mail when I was in the military overseas, but that was in the 80s. Still do, Darren, in Jackson, still do. We provide that um, that benefit, as we should, to our military that are deployed, who are deployed. They and can't. I think
2: one thing being missed with the debate about mail-in ballots and, and mail-in voting is in, I would say, the vast majority of elections, those votes are counted, but they don't have an impact on the election itself. That's right. They're counted after the fact as a formality because if you have a difference, a delta between the top two candidates receiving votes and say it's candidate a is Republican candidate B is Democrat candidate a the Republican got 65 percent of the votes and just using nice big round numbers let's say they got a hundred thousand more votes well if the number of mail-in ballots you received is 25,000 you're gonna count them but you know the result much earlier because there's no way even if all of those ballots went one way that it would swing it one way or the other yeah, it, it all so this voting with, with the closeness of a lot of these races that's why you're seeing some delays is because those mail-in ballot numbers are greater than the difference from the ballots cast on election. Day. Absolutely true. The voting
3: irregularity stuff is is not an issue unless it's close. When it's close, then you know it it's an issue. It's potentially a factor for sure and it gets attention as it should. But most of these races aren't We've probably seen more of those in the last couple of cycles than I can remember, where pr- maybe the last one was the Bush, uh, the 2002 Bush and Gore, right? That all came down to the hanging chads in one state, in Florida. It's amazing uh, you know, how that has evolved. Casey says, I think the education system is another way to funnel money to the Democrats. The federal government is giving millions and millions of dollars to each school district school districts are using those dollars to purchase educational resources to combat learning loss. Evidence proves 95 percent of those in education donate to Democrats. That is absolutely true. And especially, so I I attribute this kind of sliding into the leftist abyss, uh, uh, to Casey's point here, I attribute it a great deal to the indoctrination and the brainwashing that is happening across uh, America's educational institutions, in particular uh, our colleges and universities, which are absolutely dominated by leftists who are teaching impressionable young college students that America is irredeemably wicked, and that capitalism, free market capitalism and limited government, and even the Constitution are just bad. They're deplorable. They, they gotta be eliminated. We're coming right back. Stay with us.
0: Come on, come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: Everyone, super talk Mississippi middays on the ceasefire text line. Matthew in Oklahoma says, Probably could cut that Medicaid cost if they went through and see who is cheating the system and who isn't. Yeah, and that would include the providers. You know that. Oh, yeah, if the federal government really enforced at the provider level, talking about the doctors pharmacists, so forth. If they enforced that, there would be none that accepted Medicaid because the reimbursement's so dang low. They look the other way because they know if they enforced it, you wouldn't have any doctors to see even though you got Medicaid coverage. I'm exaggerating somewhat, but it is true that that happens. So it's estimated Matthew, that there's about $80 billion a year in fraud uh, in Medicaid. And that's too much. There's no doubt. And that needs to be addressed. Actually, it's waste, fraud, and abuse is the way it's defined. But just keep this in mind. It's a $750 billion program. It's gigantic and getting bigger. Because the cost of health care keeps going up. And, you know, they're, they're, this is something we need to have a serious conversation about. There are a lot of people in this country whose income just doesn't allow them to purchase insurance, health insurance. If you hadn't checked lately, folks, it's outrageous, it's ridiculous.
2: It's now, actually, one reason for that is asinine coverage, no doubt about it. So I have no reason why my medical insurance should cover prenatal vitamins, but it does.
3: That's right. You're, you're you're covering as part of your premiums, your coverage. You're in the pool there with other folks that need things. You don't. There's no doubt about that. But this is something that if you presented to people, and they when they find out that this was a feature of the Affordable Care Act they uh, they kind of scratch their head. So an example is denial for pre-existing conditions. Now that only applies in the group market because that was eliminated in 1996. I should say in the individual market. It was eliminated in the group market, the group market in 1996. That simply means you obtain your insurance through your employers. There was a time when you went to work somewhere, You'd have to wait. There would be a delay, a waiting period, usually 90 days before you got coverage. You, you applied for it, but then the carrier that provided insurance through your employer would have to go check your medical history to see if they would accept you. Well, that changed in 96. By the way, it's the same law that it was all part of HIPAA, the HIPAA standards. That was all passed. And it basically says, no, nobody can be denied on an employer basis, provided they've had continuous coverage, by the way. If there's a gap in that coverage, there is some exception there. But in general, you go to work somewhere, you want health care coverage, you're done, you're enrolled. And uh, there's, there's no delay and no denial for pre existing. But in the individual market, that's not the case until Obamacare came along. Now, how many times have you seen Republicans say, oh yeah, we want to change Obamacare, but we're all for protecting pre-existing conditions, which were enacted in Obamacare. So there's a bit of a conflict there. That's an issue. But there there's some insurance features in the Affordable Care Act that I think most folks appreciate, which is that there are no... The insurance companies cannot limit annually the reimbursement they provide, nor can they limit it on a lifetime basis, which used to be fairly common prior to the Affordable Care Act. And then they also limit the amount of annual out-of-pocket costs. That would be in the form of co-pays, co-insurance, and uh, deductibles. There's limits there, so there was a, a number of insurance reforms that I think most people appreciate, but most probably don't realize came about because of the Affordable Care Act. Now I'm not saying I'm a proponent of it. In fact, I spoke against it all across the state and even in other states. In presentation after presentation, and wrote a numerous uh, a number of op eds explaining. So all that stuff sounds great. We all like that. What we don't like is the fact that, as you've talked about, Rhino, our premiums went through the roof, so you get all that stuff, but it's got to be paid for. Yeah, you insurance companies, you, you cannot limit how much you pay uh, for, uh, uh, you cover in terms of annual expenditures, and the insurance companies say, okay, well then, your premiums just went up 50%, so we can afford that, so we can absorb those costs. So all the goodies are great, but they cost money. And we're pay, we pay for those benefits. Those Free wellness coverage is, is another one that was uh, enacted as, as part of that. And also something called community rating, which is limited now to three to one. And that basically says you can't charge an older, sicker person. It could be a combination of older, sicker, or it could just be sicker. Females, for example, typically their coverage would be higher uh, than a male. And you're limited on the ratio there, insurance companies are. Insurance companies have to pay out 80% of their premium revenue in benefits. If they don't, they have to send refunds back to the insured rolls. Several billion dollars has been sent out not a whole lot of money when that happens, a hundred bucks maybe or something, I think. But all that was enacted in Obamacare, so all I'm saying is, everybody seems to like all that, but they don't like the price tag for it. And that's what I have crusaded against, saying, yeah, I get it, this is all popular, but this is going to cost money. And it does. And there's also this, like, which is nothing more but symbolic. Uh, the pay to the CEO of an insurer in excess of $500,000 cannot be deducted for tax purposes, which is like peanuts at the end of the day when you consider it's a $3.8 trillion industry. But that was more just symbolic. Yeah, we put it to them CEOs who can't deduct their pay for tax purposes.
2: little breaking news. Looks like things are getting sideways in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Saw that. Uh, There are reports that a couple Russian missiles, two Russian missiles that were intended for Ukraine, fired from Russia, crossed into Poland, right? killing two. Uh, Interesting. Remember, Hmm. Poland is a NATO country, Hmm. and any attack on one is an attack on all. So what are we going to do, huh? That's probably why the dials turned negative. premier, the uh, Poland's prime minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, has uh, declared an urgent national security meeting about 45 minutes ago.
3: Yeah. Interesting. We'll keep an eye on that. I I wonder if that's why the Dow hadn't turned negative. So the war's escalating, and now they're essentially putting this at the feet of Joe Biden and NATO, right? Got to make a decision. How do they respond? I got zero coverage in Biden leading that effort. Man, man. I had the coverage for a while. It was pitiful talking about Medicaid. That's Gary from Tishomingo. Uh, Yeah, so most people are not happy with that. It's not intended to be gold-plated private coverage. No doubt. If that's what you're talking about, Gary, I'm not sure. You may be talking about uh, plans sold in the ACA exchanges, the marketplaces. Uh, Let's see. I said other than DeSantis, and yes, I do. So Marion Greenwood says that if DeSantis doesn't run, who of the candidates mentioned would you vote for? They're all wimps. So I asked her to define what a wimp is, and she said what we had before Trump was elected. So I asked, is that DeSantis, Pence, Nikki Haley? Talking about the current crop. Tim Scott, Brian Kemp, do you consider those wimps? I said, other than DeSantis, and yes, I do. Hmm. So you think Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Brian Kemp are all wimps? Okay.
2: But you're the one that can't be reasoned with, Gerard. Ah, I got you.
3: Hmm. I would have to differ with you on that, Mary. I think they're they're all very capable uh, conservative leaders. Tim Scott, I think joining up with Governor DeSantis, the latter being the president, and the former being the vice president, would be an excellent ticket and a winnable ticket. Is what I think. Fog hat here, bumping us out as we got one segment left on this uh, second day of the week, middays in the Element Well Studios.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: back, everyone. Final segment, midday. Super Talk, Mississippi. Total household debt now $16.5 trillion in the third quarter. Wow. It is uh, moving upward. Mo- more people are running out of all that helicopter money and starting to shift over to living uh, and operating their households on their credit cards. There's no doubt about that. Darren and Jackson says... Where does it say in the Constitution the duty of government is to provide you health insurance? Of course, that's, that's back to the fundamental question we've conveyed here on the show, which is, that, that I think, the need for a serious discussion about the role of government. There is no consensus on that, not even remotely close. And, in fact, we're deeply divided on that matter. So and the only thing I'm saying there, Darren, is... Don't stop at health insurance. We could go down the list. Where does it say you're entitled to high-speed Internet? Because that's being funded by the government, by the taxpayers. We're celebrating that here in Mississippi. Pay no attention to the fact that we just lapped that onto our $31 trillion of debt. We don't have the money to pay for that. We don't have the money to pay for anything. So you could go down the list of all the things that we welcome, we like, we're happy about, that absolutely uh, require analysis. Is this a function, a role of government? We don't have those discussions anymore, whatsoever. The, uh, The left in this country wants to expand the role of government. Because they believe that health care is a right. Absolutely they do. And they're, they're not ashamed to declare that. And that's, that's just it's a difficult debate because there are a lot of people that share that view in this country. And gosh, you're, you're attacked. You're assaulted if you retort that in any way. Uh, it's 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 amazing how we've gotten to that point. I mean, so look at where we spend most of our money. It's Medicare and Social Security. How's that a right? Because the amount you pay into it doesn't cover what you get out of it, on average. In some cases, of course. But that all—I mean, that ship sailed in 1935. That's when it started to get derailed. And uh, so here we are. And all we look to do is look at more and more ways. Heck, I saw this morning, you know, Biden's been overseas. And he has announced global investments. Boy, you talk about makes the people mad. Including me, $650 million for Indonesia so they can wean themselves off of coal. We're going to give them 650 million bucks. Indonesia, most people couldn't find it on a map. 52 million dollar loan for solar panels in Honduras. 15 million for India health infrastructure. I don't even know what that is. There's also some like six million bucks in some country in Africa to boost creation of woman-owned businesses. This is insanity. Insanity. Uh, But yet, we just, with great temerity, just write the check for that.
2: Meanwhile, China's paying to get them fresh water and roads and bridges and all that. Exactly. Buying influence in the same sphere. Yeah, but we're going to prop up
3: those woman-owned businesses. Speaking of which, talking about this federal money for all this stuff, I saw that our power company has a digital billboard right out here, not far from the studio, encouraging people to take advantage of the solar panel credits. I sure would like to know how many people are rushing out there to buy solar panels. I can't name a person in my orbit that it even comes up. You know, those digital billboards on the interstate, they ain't cheap, as you know.
2: They're not um, quite as expensive as a spot on Times Square, but they will set you back a pretty penny.
3: Yeah. And it's, it, for the most part, you don't sign up for a month. It's, there's a term. Usually, yeah, you, you sign those up for a amount right. of time. Yeah. So, gee whiz, it's just it's crazy. Jerry in Waynesboro says, we're already socialists, just don't have no money. Ha, ha, ha. I hear you. I don't know anybody that has a solar panel other than one on a gate. And this is Zach and Osprey. He says, Yeah, that's the stuff that makes me furious, and the fact that there will be absolutely no oversight or accountability to the money is just icing on the cake. I'm with you there, Zach. This is nuts that we got a president that goes overseas with all the challenges we have in this country and pledges. You can't say taxpayer money, it's just more deficit spending to these countries that. I don't even know our relationship with them, honestly. For coal and solar panels, we're out of our minds. That's ridiculous. Tomorrow, folks, you got to tune in. We covered this last year, Rhino. It's Sex Week at Harvard again. Oh, (laughs) boy. We're out of here today, though. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.